Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're going to talk to Sarah Albee, whose book is Dog Days of History, the incredible story of our best friends. Hi, Sarah. Hi. So good to have you on the show today. I'm so happy to be here. I love talking about dogs. Is this your dog in the beginning of the book with its face on the plate uh, licking up the whipped cream or not? That is not my dog, but it's a pretty funny picture. Yeah, I love it. And it, it just goes to show that even when they're doing something bad, we sometimes we just have to smile. So I, I, is it okay if I ask you about your own relationship with dogs? Absolutely. I grew up with dogs. In the old days, we used to call them mutts. Um, nowadays, we call them mixed breeds. But yeah, I, I grew up with a succession of fantastic dogs as a kid, and I couldn't not get my own children a dog. We It, it turns out we have a, a standard poodle, which is not the dog I set out to get, but she kind of fell in our laps, and she's the best dog ever. She is so smart. And dumb luck, she doesn't shed. Wow, this is all good. And, and uh, that's that's just a, another benefit of, of finding a, a true friend in your life. And I think they are, Sarah, our best friends. And that's why people gravitate towards them. It's just the way they always look at you. It's true. Dogs love us and we love them. And they're kind of unique in that way. I mean, I love cats too, but and I love fish and guinea pigs and all that. But there's nothing quite like the love of a dog. All right. Now let's talk about your uh, impetus to write this book or, or why you decided to talk about uh, the dogs of history. Well, I am a nonfiction history writer for kids. And so this book is for kids eight and up. So it was just a perfect mashup of my two favorite things, which are history and dogs. And the idea is that or I'm hoping that kids who love dogs will learn a little thing or two about history and kids who like history will, you know, will love it because it's dogs. And uh, in your book, you talk uh, about them uh, going back uh, pretty far in time. Where's the first recorded history that you could find through a painting or something that indicated uh, people and dogs were close? Well, there's, it's really in the archaeological record that they've discovered, you know, burial pits and things like that with, with dogs and humans together, sometimes with their arm around a dog. Um, if you ask a scientist who studies genetics and DNA, he or she will say it happened 30,000 years ago, and archaeologists think it was maybe 15,000 years ago. So we're not really sure exactly when it happened and where, but there, people started depicting themselves with dogs from, from the moment they started depicting anything. So it really does go, we do go way back. This notion where uh, somebody has their armor on a dog and they're they're buried, what does that what does that indicate for one of them? It, it seems to indicate that. The- <laughs> it- you know, well, since ancient times, I mean, we've we've always loved our dogs. Like in ancient Egypt, there are 
they're, they found in tombs mummified. I mean, of course, they loved cats, and cats were sacred, but so were dogs. And there, you know, Anubis is a dog-like god, and so there are mummified dogs and cats in Egyptian tombs, and families would shave their eyebrows when a beloved pet died. So it does go a long way back. But really, dogs as pets has been a fairly recent phenomenon. It's it's kind of been a luxury enjoyed by the wealthy until about, you know, late in the 19th century. Before that, the dogs that belonged to working people had to work for a living, just like their owners did. So those dogs would, you know, pull carts and operate machinery and be guard dogs and herding dogs. They they worked just like their owners did. Let's talk about Christopher Columbus and uh, his dogs. Yeah, that's a kind of a grim chapter in the history of dogs, I'm sorry to say. The, the conquistadors brought over, there were dogs in North America, but they, Native American people did have dogs and they pulled their sleds and things like that, but they were smaller. And the conquistadors brought over these huge, massive kind of war dogs and they used them to intimidate Native people. It's It's an ugly history, but... It's the history of what humans have done to dogs, really. I mean, the dogs just do what they're trained to do. So, and dogs have always done what they've been trained to do. So, yeah, that that's that's not a happy chapter. Uh, give us a happy chapter about history and dogs, then, <laughs> so we can have a palate cleanser on our show. <laughs> okay. Well, there are. I mean, there are some hilarious chapters, like that, or just things that dogs have done for us like in you know medieval times they would be underneath the table and you'd toss your scraps to them but forks haven't been invented yet you know they weren't in wide use until the mid 1600s so dogs were used as table napkins and poison tasters and bed warmers and lap warmers so they've done all kinds they've performed all sorts of fun roles that's good. You talk about um, <laughs> uh, Sir Isaac Newton. This is a good one, isn't it? You want to tell the people about this? Yeah, I mean, the the second most famous story, you know, after the apple that purportedly fell on his, bonked him on the head and he, Eureka, discovered gravity, um, is his his dog may have upset a candle on a table that burned his his manuscript that he'd been working on for years. Whoops. <laughs> but he wasn't exactly a people person, and I think this dog was very, very beloved by him, so he forgave the dog and rewrote it. What a guy, right? But they must have been pretty yeah. close for that to happen. Now, in the history, um, a lot of times, as as we know, Sarah, uh, the dogs of uh, presidential candidates or the dogs that get to live in the White House are, are very famous. In fact, I think maybe they're some of the most famous of all time. Uh, tell us about uh, George Washington and his dogs. Yeah, the, there's a whole. I have a whole spread, a couple of pages about presidential pooches, and yeah, George Washington loved dogs, and he owned a lot of them. A lot of them were hunting dogs, but um, some of them were carriage dogs, and some of them were down in Mount Vernon on the you know entry level, and they were like they would sort of chase any vermin that came in and tried to eat the food. So, and they all have hilarious names. And so he had some really fun dogs, but a lot of presidents did like, uh, Theodore Roosevelt had a lot of dogs. He had one named Pete whose job was to patrol the grounds of the white house and chase away intruders. And he took the job too far and chased the French, French ambassador up a tree. <laughs> 
So there's some real fun stories about presidential dogs. And of course, uh, Nixon with the, with the checkers speech. This is one of the most influential speeches of all time. And the the way we know the speech is by the name of the dog, which is just kind of wild, right? That's right. Yeah. He he was given a gift of a dog and was accused, you know, he was he didn't have a great reputation yet. He wasn't president yet, but um he gave a speech and he said, "Well, you know, we're very honest people and I'm I'm going to I never accept gifts, but I'm going to keep this dog because my children love it and its name is Checkers." And that kind of humanized him and cuz he wasn't great on television and I think a lot of people that that sort of saved his political life. This this little dog named Checkers. When did we uh, start letting the dogs become real parts of the family and, and come in the house? Because I know when I was a kid, this this thing was sort of still speculated about, well, should you even ever let the dog in the house and, and so on and so forth? When did this become the thing to do for these uh, family members, as some people call them? Well, it's... It's interesting. It's a it's an interesting history because, as I said, that you know the wealthy people were the ones who had the pet dogs, and they you know the working people's dogs had, were outside. And it really was kind of late nineteenth century and the rise of different kennel clubs and um, you know of breeding and the and people started kind of dogs became big status symbols like what kind of dog you had and then there was a rise of commercial pet food because before like the late 19th century dogs just ate whatever their owners gave them whatever was on the table so the the commercial pet food um this guy named Spratt was was visiting this american guy was like on the wharves in london and he noticed dogs eating hardtack which is a you know a biscuit that they would give to a hated biscuit biscuit that they gave to soldiers because it lasted forever, and that gave him the idea of inventing a kind of packaged food for dogs. So that was the you know part of it that was in the early 1900s, um, and then yeah then just as the rise of the middle class as people became more affluent and certainly post World War II, a dog became a part of many, many, many millions of family homes. Are you surprised at the uh, economic impact of, of pet ownership? I mean, it's just, it's wild. I mean, between the the food, the toys, the clothes, um, and, and probably a million other things I'm missing in the interim here. It, does that, when you were doing research, did that sort of stun you that it went from one thing and it's escalated so wildly? Well, it didn't stun me, but it, yeah, the statistics are are pretty staggering how much we spend on our dogs. But then, you know, it's kind of been ever thus when, I mean, not with ordinary people, middle class people, but wealthy people, you know, in the 1700s, their dogs had their own sedan chairs and like gold collars. And I mean, people love their dogs. And if they have the money, they're going to, they're going to just kind of bestow gifts upon gifts on their beloved dogs. So, I mean, dogs, we love our dogs is, is what it boils down to. Yeah, somebody was telling me the other day they uh, work somewhere and they have Adirondack chairs for your pets, which is cool. Um, and I referenced, oh, before you came on the show, I, re- I referenced Sergeant Stubby and then somebody sent me a message. Well, could you get to the point on that? So, Sarah, talk about Sergeant Stubby. Oh, Sergeant Stubby was a dog who, uh, he was a war dog, and he um, he was a bull terrier, and he was found on the street by an American soldier and was sort of smuggled over on, his, on the ship bound for France. 
this is in World War One, and he just did all these amazing things. Like to, he he started barking before a, a mustard. I guess it was mustard gas, some sort of gas-filled thing, landed in his camp, and he got everyone had time to put on their gas masks. So he just started garnering metal after metal and was decorated, you know, with with lots of them. So he's a very famous, wonderful dog. Also, we've, we've seen uh, evolution of other dogs that help, whether they're with uh, police departments. We, we, we've seen that bombs, sniffing dogs, drug dogs. Right. And now it's moved into um, the therapeutic community with therapy dogs. So it still continues to be in uh, large amounts of evolution. Yeah, I mean, basically, the more we've realized we can ask dogs to do, the more they do. So they can sniff for cancer cells. They can, they can, yeah, they can be comfort dogs for soldiers with PTSD and for children. And it's just incredible what dogs are able to do for us. We probably shouldn't let them do our taxes, though, right? That's probably not yet, right? <laughs> well, some of them might be better than us. <laughs> <laughs> Which dogs yeah. do you think are the smartest before I let you go from your research? You know, it it it's I I hesitate to say one breed is smarter than another. I mean, dogs there are certain breeds of dogs that are just ingenious at doing other things. <laughs> My dog the poodle is very smart. I think they are right up there. She rings a bell when she wants to go outside. <laughs> that's, that's that's some uh, good work there, Sarah. So thanks for doing our show today. Sarah <laughs> Albee is the author of Dog Days of History, the incredible story of our best friends uh, from uh, National Geographic. And it's a great book for those eight plus. We'll put it that way, Sarah. That way anybody can read it over the age of eight. So that's good. Thanks for doing the show. You're a delight. Take care. Thank you. It was a pleasure. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.